Will you pray with me? Holy God, Lord, this morning may the words of my mouth, indeed may the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. The Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So this movement had taken on a life of its own. It is out of control. The leaders of this movement, they refuse to obey commands to stop, even when they're put in jail. Everything good about our way of life is being threatened. What are we going to do? You know, that may sound a lot like today's headlines, but it's actually straight out of chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Acts. May God indeed open our ears and our hearts to hear an ancient word that speaks to us a contemporary message. For those of you that are at home, I invite you to get your Bibles out to have them nearby. We're going to be dealing with both Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5, and so I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 4 so you can follow along. Now last week, um, Chris did a great job, I, I was worshipped with you virtually last week, telling the story of this man who was born lame and now at 40 years old received healing in the name of Jesus at the hands of Peter and John. It was a wonderful story of restoration and everyone was thrilled. Well, not really everyone. <laughs> You see, Peter used that moment as a, as a teaching moment to the crowds. And he shared the story of Jesus, rejected by people but exalted by God, raised from the dead, and now is the name by which this man had been healed and through which all persons are invited to turn, to repent, and to live a new life, both now and forevermore. And that was all in Acts chapter 3. Chapter 4 of the book of Acts begins with the priests and the temple guard and the Sadducees confronting Peter and John. We're told in verse 2, they were incensed that the apostles were teaching the people and announcing that the resurrection of the dead was happening because of Jesus. But wait, isn't the resurrection good news? <laughs> isn't it good news that God is still intervening in the lives of people and restoring them and promising abundant life both now and forevermore? Well, if you're one of the people who's currently in power, the answer to that question is no. The Sadducees, they were the Jewish aristocracy. They controlled the temple, the sacrificial system. <clears throat> They're the ones who bargained with the Romans on behalf of the Jewish people. And they wielded great power economically, socially, and politically. They had also worked to quell this uprising around Jesus when he was alive and challenging the religious status quo, ultimately stirring up a mob 
to call for his death at the hands of Roman executioners. See, resurrection was then and is still today an attack on the status quo and a threat to existing power structures, according to biblical scholar and commentator N.T. Wright. He says that resurrection, you see, is the belief that declares that the living God is going to put everything right once and for all and to restore all things. And those who are currently in power within the world as it is right now, they're quite right to suspect that if God suddenly does such a drastic thing, they cannot guarantee that they will end up with the same sort of power in the new world that God is going to make. What made them so angry wasn't just Peter's announcement that God had raised Jesus from the dead. Peter was saying that Jesus' resurrection was the start and the sign of God's eventual restoration of everything. And that was bound to be bad news for those who were invested in keeping everything steady and the same with the balance of power tilted toward them. And so they seized Peter and John, and they put them in jail overnight. And the next day, they demanded that the apostles cease and desist from speaking and teaching in the name of Jesus. By the way, the day before this movement, uh, 2,000 more had been added to the movement, which had already swelled to 3,000 on Pentecost. So now there are 5,000 in this movement. And in chapter 4, verses 19 and 20, Peter and John responded to the authorities by saying, It's up to you to determine whether it's right before God to obey you rather than God. As for us, we can't stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And the movement continued to grow. Despite the efforts of the religious authorities, signs and wonders were being performed. Lives were changed. People were healed. The community was being built. If you have your Bible, look in chapter 5, verse 17. There's another encounter again with the authorities, with the apostles. And in verse 18 of chapter 5, in this grand show of power, we're told, they seized the apostles and made a public show of putting them in prison. Might makes right. Isn't that so? Quell this growing disturbance of people saying things that you do not want to hear. Show them their place. Make them afraid. After all, they had the power of law on their side. But the problem with their plan was that God had other plans. We're told in verse 19 that an angel from the Lord came and opened the prison doors during the night and let them out. And then the angel told them, go 
take your place in the temple and tell the people everything about this new life. And that's what they did. Anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The old is gone. The new life has begun. We're told that by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17. And over and over in the book of Acts, we see this new life lived out by the apostles, by Paul, by the new believers. When you are in Christ, who you were is not what defines you. Who you are in Christ, redeemed, transformed, empowered to live a new life, that's what defines you. And as the angel told the apostles to tell people about this new life, we too are called to share this new life with others. Here's the thing, friends. God is not in the interior decorating business. God doesn't simply tweak a little here and there, making us nicer people, helping us with this little bad habit. No, God is about demolition and new architecture and building from scratch with Christ himself as the cornerstone. And it's not just for us as individuals that God is at work doing this. It is the whole structure of society itself. God intends to bring about a new heaven and a new earth. We read about that in Revelation. We together regularly pray this radical prayer asking for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And do you hear how really upside down that is? Because what is God's kingdom going to look like? Well, I invite you to go and read the Beatitudes. I invite you to go and read what Jesus did. The last shall be first. The poor are blessed with the kingdom. Might no longer makes right. Right makes right. And those of us who in this life have enjoyed privilege, whether due to our economic status, our level of education, or the color of our skin, we will no longer enjoy such privilege. Is that hard to hear? In this resurrection life that the apostles witnessed to with Christ as the cornerstone, those who have benefited from the status quo, those who have been dealt a hand of privilege and power, are given the back of the bus, the end of the line, the leftovers. No wonder 
the religious authorities became furious and wanted to kill the apostles. Quit saying that, they told the apostles. And I invite you now to look with me at verses 29 to 32. Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than humans. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God has exalted Jesus to his right side as leader and savior so that he could enable Israel to change its heart and life and to find forgiveness for sins. We are witnesses of such things, as is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. A quick word about this process of reconciliation here as I sort of unpack this message of the apostles. The first is face the truth. Don't sugarcoat it. Jesus whom you killed. Now those men that were standing there are not the ones who actually had killed Jesus, but they were still responsible. They had had him arrested, and they had turned him over to the violence of the Roman Empire, demanding their own form of justice. Yes, they were responsible. What truths do you and I need to hear and to face? The inequalities that exist in our society, they are real. We have systems in place that favor the status quo, that favor the white person's viewpoint of history, of current events, of economics, and of education over the viewpoints of persons of color. You may not like hearing that. Any more than the authorities liked hearing the truth that the apostles spoke, but friends, no change can occur until we face the truth. And then comes repentance. See, Jesus as Savior enables us to change our hearts and our lives. That's what repentance is. Not simply acknowledging a wrong, but, but turning in a different direction. This is something active. It's not simply saying, I'm sorry, but it's walking in a new direction. Can you, can you hear me this morning? And then forgiveness for sins. First, you face the truth, then repent not just with words, but with actions, and then find forgiveness. And reconciliation involves all of these. Reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ, and reconciliation with our fellow humans. And then, like the apostles, we too are witnesses of the power of the Holy Spirit. Face the truth, Repent, find forgiveness, witness, repeat. The ongoing process of reconciliation.
If you were baptized in the United Methodist Church or if your children were baptized, you took these vows. If you've joined the church through profession of faith, our confirmation class that will be being confirmed next month, every time somebody professes their faith in this church, there is a series of three questions. And I'm going to give those to you again this morning in case you maybe have forgotten them, and I invite you to respond. Here are those questions that we ask every time someone professes their faith to join this church. Do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? If so, your answer is, I do. Do you accept the freedom and the power that God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? If so, your answer is, I do. And do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? Put your whole trust in his grace and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? If so, your answer is, I do. If we had to manage our own reconciliation, we would be lost. We don't have the internal fortitude, the ability to look critically at our own lives, though we are really good at looking critically at the lives of others, or the power to change the direction of our own lives. But that's where the gospel meets us. This is where the good news that was proclaimed then and the good news that I am saying today steps in. God is devoted to pouring out God's Holy Spirit on all God's children to give all humanity who will receive that power to the new life that is found in Jesus Christ. And because it is God's power and grace and not found in humans, I am hopeful. When all looks lost in this world of finger-pointing and blame-casting and belittling opposing viewpoints and shouting over the voices of those who are crying out for help, crying out to simply exist, to breathe. If fixing all of this depends on humans, then we're sunk. But it's God's power. It's God's grace. It's God's forgiveness. It's God's granting of the new life in Jesus Christ. I need it. You need it. God knows the world needs it. And thank God, it is a free gift through the blood of the one who died for our sins that we may be raised with him into new life now and forevermore. Let us be witnesses that just won't stop sharing and living that good news. Let us pray.
Holy God, you know our hearts. We give them to you anew this day. Shape them. Remake them. With Jesus Christ as the very cornerstone of our lives, we pray in his name. Amen.